What's up everybody? Gen X Dividend Investor here. Today in my third stock reveal video I'll be doing an analysis on Home Depot which is my 23rd largest stock by market value in my dividend portfolio. After this I've got 22 more reveals to go until my entire portfolio is shown. Thank you for taking time out of your day to watch my videos. I really appreciate the thumbs up, the comments, and especially if you subscribe. It tells me I'm on the right track with providing you some value and entertainment. So what does Home Depot do? They are the largest home improvement chain in the U.S. and is the world's largest home improvement retailer based on net sales for fiscal 2018. They operate in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. They offer building materials, home improvement products, lawn and garden products, decor products, and provide a number of services including home improvement installation services and tool and equipment rental. Let's understand Home Depot more, starting with a quick history of how they were founded. Then we'll go over some of their nuances, their financials, their leadership, concerns and risks you should be aware of, whether it is a buy at these levels, and then we'll go over my portfolio details including how many shares I have and such. First, a brief history. In 1978, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank were fired from Handy Dan Home Improvement Centers. They were both handyman, do-it-yourselfer types, the exact opposite of me. Their dream was to open a huge store that would offer tons of products at great prices, but with highly trained staff that could help any customer with all their home repairs and improvements. In two months, they formed Home Depot, and about a year later they opened two Home Depot stores in Georgia with help from an investment banker and a merchandiser. These stores were way bigger than the competition, and all their staff were highly trained. In 1981, they took the company public and they raised about $4 million, which helped fuel growth. They got included into the S&P 500 in 88, and by 89, their 100th store opened. By 1996, they had 40 consecutive quarters of record financial results. In 99, they were added to the Dow. In 01, they expanded into Mexico with their acquisition of Total Home. In 02, they opened their 1500th store, and three years later, they opened their 2000th store. Part of Home Depot's culture and values align with being involved in their communities and doing charitable giving. In 1997, Home Depot developed the Kids Workshop to teach building skills and safety. It's a free class for kids held every month at all Home Depot stores across the country. When a child goes to the Home Depot Kids Workshop, they'll get a free project kit they can complete during the workshop and then take home when they're finished. In addition to the workshop and project kit, they also get a free kid-sized orange apron, a certificate of achievement, and a commemorative pin for a job well done. In 2001, following the terrorist attacks on September 11th, the Home Depot's Mid-Atlantic Division served as an emergency command center. In 2005, in response to Hurricane Katrina, the Home Depot Foundation supported rebuilding efforts in the Gulf community. This foundation partners with thousands of organizations to build and repair homes for veterans and those who are recovering from natural disasters. Home Depot invested more than $87 million into the Gulf community to support rebuilding efforts after Hurricane Katrina. In 2011, Home Depot pledged $30 million over three years to military veterans' housing issues. In 2012, the Home Depot Foundation pledged an additional $50 million to veterans' housing initiatives, increasing its total commitment to $80 million. In 2016, 
the Home Depot Foundation pledged a quarter of a billion dollars to veteran causes by 2020. In 2017, the Home Depot Foundation pledged $3 million to support areas impacted by Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria, as well as earthquakes in Mexico. Home Depot has had a history of innovation, which has allowed it to consistently grow and outperform. In 1987, stores began using UPC scanning systems. In 2000, their e-commerce site was established. In 2002, the Home Depot was the first major home improvement retailer to install self-checkouts. In 2007, they realized they weren't investing enough in IT, and they pressed the accelerator down hard. In 2010, the Home Depot was the first brick-and-mortar retailer with apps on the top three smartphone platforms. And they rolled out the first phone mobile devices to U.S. stores, a key enabler of interconnected retail capabilities and supply chain improvements. In 2012, Home Depot was the first brick-and-mortar retailer to accept payment by PayPal. In 2017, Home Depot revealed a new strategic imperative called the One Home Depot Experience to enable a better shopping experience for their customers so that they are viewed as more than just a brick and mortar with a website. Their data showed them that many in-source sales are influenced by online visits by their customers, so their strategy is paying off. Now in 2019, we can see that they have one of the most popular e-commerce shopping apps out there by reach. Finally, Home Depot is currently working to improve its delivery capabilities, much like Walmart and Amazon are doing. Home Depot offers two-day or faster shipping of smaller packages to 90% of all Americans and does next-day shipping for 36% of the population. They are partnering with Rodi and DLove to help improve the same-day, next-day coverage in major U.S. cities. All of these strategic innovative actions should continue to make their customers happier, which should lead to more profits and ultimately better shareholder returns. Home Depot breaks their customers into two groups, do-it-yourself or DIY customers who typically own homes, and pro customers who are general contractors, handymen, property managers, and other professionals. They have around 2,000 stores in the U.S., 182 in Canada, and 124 in Mexico at the end of 2018. Home Depot has stated two primary objectives, which are number one, growing market share with their customers, and number two, delivering shareholder value. They are guided by three principles to drive growth. Number one, delivering an exceptional customer experience. Number two, leading in product authority. And number three, maintaining a disciplined approach to capital allocation. They've stated five strategies to accomplish growth. Number one, connect associates to customer needs. Number two, create an interconnected experience, stores to online and online to stores. Number three, connect products and services to customer needs. Number four, connect product to shelf, site, and customer. And number five, innovate their business model and value chain. Home Depot currently employs 400,000 associates at 2,284 stores in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. It has a very strong brand. Here we see that they are ranked at number 32 on the 2019 ranking done by Forbes. We also see that Lowe's has a great brand, but not as good as Home Depot's. Here is a view of the top brands according to Visual Capitalist, which is a great way to view the top brands by sector. Now let's dive into some numbers. Watch my Disney video if you want to learn about the metrics, why they matter, what makes a good or bad metric, etc. In this video, I'll assume you know what I already covered. Okay, let's look at the revenue breakdown. As you can see, the majority of sales comes from the U.S., 
which makes sense given that most of the stores are here. About 95% of the revenue comes from products and 5% is from services they offer. They have three core product lines, building materials, which is their largest revenue stream, followed by decor, and then hard lines. Hard lines is hardware, indoor garden products, and tools. Looking at their latest 10K, we see that net sales for fiscal 2018 increased 7.2% to $108.2 billion. The increase in net sales primarily reflected the impact of positive comp sales due to increase in average tickets and increased customer transactions, as well as $1.7 billion of net sales attributable to the additional week they had in fiscal 2018. Comps are the performance of their existing stores and websites that are evaluated by measuring the change in net sales over a period of time. Online sales, which are sales generated online and then picked up in stores or delivered to customer locations, represented 7.9% of net sales and grew 26.2% during fiscal 2018. Total comparable sales increased 5.2% in fiscal 2018. Their gross profit increased 8.2%. Their SG&A unfortunately increased by 9.2%. And their combined effective income tax rate was 23.6% for fiscal 2018 compared to 37% for fiscal 2017. So if you've seen in my other videos, Home Depot also benefited from the tax changes. This data comes from their annual report. This is Home Depot stock versus the S&P 500 versus the whole S&P retail composite index to see how they have compared to their industry for the last five years. This represents their cumulative total shareholder returns relative to the performance of the S&P retail composite index and the S&P 500 index for the five most fiscal years. This assumes $100 was invested in each index on the last day of fiscal 2013 and assumes that all dividends were reinvested. So Home Depot has fared better than the S&P 500 and better than the whole retail composite index. Let's look at how their stock price has performed relative to Lowe's and to the S&P 500 over the last 15 years. Here we have Home Depot in black, Lowe's in red, and the S&P 500 in blue. Again, what we see is that Home Depot has performed better than Lowe's and the S&P 500. Let's look at their PE trends relative to Lowe's, who's their main competitor. We see that Home Depot has a much more compelling PE than Lowe's at this point, though still it's a high PE. The forward PE is also around 20, which isn't a great value. I'd like to see a 15 PE to get more excited about buying. Let's compare Home Depot to Lowe's revenue growth over time. Here we have Home Depot in red and Lowe's in green. We see here how Home Depot has consistently outperformed Lowe's. The shaded yellow region is an analyst estimates for go-forward revenue. Now let's dive into their financial statements. Now there are three main things that I like to look at when I'm analyzing a business. Number one, is the company growing? Number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? And number three, do they have too much debt? Let's start with number one. In my previous videos, I talked about how I wanted to see dividend growth, revenue growth, stock growth, equity growth, etc. in companies I invest in. But I might not have been clear that to determine if a company is growing, I don't just look at assets and liabilities. So to be more clear and to go deeper, the way I answer the, the question, is a company growing, is that I look at six main things. Number one, is revenue growing, which is on the income statement? Number two, are earnings growing, also on the income statement? Number three, is equity growing, on the balance sheet? Number four, is the operating cash flow growing, on the cash flow statement? Number five, is the dividend growing consistently, usually found on their website? And number six, 
is the stock price growing over a decent period of time. So while those six aren't the only things I look at, they are the key ones I like to utilize. So let's start with number one of six is revenue growing. To calculate that, you just look at the total revenue year over year on the income statement and calculate the percentage of change. For big established companies, like the ones I invest in, while I'd love to see 5-10% to growth, that sometimes isn't realistic. So just seeing positive numbers can still be good. So we see that in 2019 they had 7.2% revenue growth, 2018 6%, 2017 6.8%, 2016 6.4%. So revenue has been growing at over 6% a year for the last four years, which is nice for a big company like Home Depot. Number two of six are earnings growing. Earnings is the net income on the income statement, which is the company's profit after all expenses have been subtracted from total revenue. It's the bottom line number on the income statement. So in 2019, we had 28%, 2018, 9%. 2017, 13.5%, and in 2016, we had 10%. So earnings have been growing for the last four years with a nice spike uh, this year. I like to see 10% or more. Number three of six is equity growing. Let's dig into shareholders' equity because it is a really fascinating and nuanced metric. Shareholders' equity, or a company's net worth, is the amount that would be returned to shareholders if all the company's assets were liquidated and all its debts repaid. Shareholder equity equals total assets minus total liabilities. It is good to understand that equity somewhat reflects a company's dividend policy since it reflects their decision to either pay out dividends or reinvest their profits. Also, it is good to know that retained earnings on the balance sheet is the amount of net income left over for the business after it has paid out dividends. Now, previously I implied that negative shareholder equity is not a good thing, and I feel that's generally true. But, and there's almost always a but, sometimes negative shareholder equity can be a good thing. This is a picture from the NASDAQ balance sheet, uh, the stockholders equity section. So I'll now elaborate on some reasons as to why you can see negative equity, and you will understand why sometimes a negative equity might be a good thing. One reason a company can have negative equity is if they are doing significant share buybacks, which can lead to negative shareholders' equity because they are literally reducing their equity. But most people would call that a good reason to have negative equity. If a company is doing buybacks, it means there are fewer shares outstanding and shareholders then own more of the company. So buybacks normally show up on the balance sheet as treasury stock, which is usually a negative number because it represents how much money was spent on shares they bought back. If they buy back tons of shares, then their shareholder equity can turn negative, even though their other growth metrics look good. So in this case, it isn't a bad thing. It's pretty cool that a company can be potentially growing without using cash. If a company has cash and believes that its stock is trading below its intrinsic value, then it sometimes will opt to buy back shares. There's usually a belief that buybacks will lead to increased share prices. Another reason you could have negative shareholders' equity is if a company has paid out more in dividends than it earned in profits, or if the company has taken on too much debt and is over-leveraged. Another could be if a company has, over an extended period of time, had lots of losses. Sometimes shareholder equity can go negative if a company has created a large provision for future expected financial liabilities. 
A negative equity might come into play if a financially viable company booked a bunch of assets at their original cost, less depreciation, but the assets would actually sell for significantly more if needed. Another example of how negative equity could come into play is if a company has a series of operating losses which they can use to help protect them from taxes, which in itself has value. These types of operating losses cannot be booked as assets unless the business can show that it will eventually use them. So once a company is consistently back in the black, then they can turn a negative book value into a positive one. Of course, there's a reason why people say cash is king. This all ties into cash flow because if a company's cash flow is good enough to cover what it needs to pay, then everything's hunky-dory, regardless of what its shareholder equity is. If their cash flow isn't enough, then that can spell bad news for the company, even if shareholder equity is looking decent. So if you like a company, then negative shareholders' equity should be something you dig into. That's a more accurate statement than saying it isn't good or it's bad. It depends on why it's negative and how the other metrics in the business are trending. So in Home Depot's case, we see a negative shareholder equity, but we see that they are doing multi-billion dollar buybacks and they have good growth metrics. It's important to understand that their capital structure is debt intensive, which can create some risk if there's a long recession. Finally, there's an interesting PDF I read about negative equity written by Travis Fairchild, CFA, in April of 2018. I'll leave a link to it in the description below, but here's a quote from it. Negative equity companies are often written off as distressed, but after reporting negative equity, most of them survive for years and have, as a group, outperformed the market 57% of the time. There are currently 118 companies in the U.S. market with negative equity. These companies have had negative equity for three years, nine months on average, and 25% have had negative equity for over five years. One example is Domino's Pizza, which has had negative equity since their 2004 IPO, but has outperformed the S&P 500 by cumulative 1,442%. Other companies include McDonald's, H&R Block, Yum Brands, HP, Motorola, Denny's, AutoZone, and Wayfair as companies that also have negative book value. To close this out, Let's hear some opinions on this from the godfathers of investing, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I see nothing wrong with a company having a negative shareholder's equity, although it may be prohibited by the state in which they're incorporated in terms of repurchasing shares at a time that would produce that. I, you'd have to look at the state law on that. Charlie? I've got nothing to add. Uh, generally speaking, Maybe Coca-Cola can have a negative equity, but I don't think it would be a good idea for General Motors. Uh, I think there's something to be said for a positive shareholder's equity. Okay, now on to number four of six. Is operating cash flow growing? To answer the question, is a company growing? So we calculate the percent increase year over year and see that 2018, 22.9% growth. 2017, 4.3% growth. So we see an overall decent average growth. I'd like to see around 10% or more. Number five of six is the dividend growing consistently, data which you can manually calculate from their website. As you can see in my spreadsheet, the five-year dividend compound annual growth rate is incredible for Home Depot. The type of dividend growth I like to see varies by industry. So whereas for energy companies and utilities, I expect to see something around 4%. If I had to genericize, then I'd like to see around 7 or 8% for any random company. Home Depot's is just incredible. 
Finally, number six of six, is the stock price growing over a decent period of time? To help us answer the question, is a company growing? We already reviewed stock price and saw a very healthy growth for Home Depot. Ideally, we'd like to see growth that beats the S&P 500 and their competitors. Okay, now onto the number two main item I like to look at when I'm analyzing a business. Can the company cover what it owes in the next year? So I like to understand if a company can cover its short-term debt obligations. I like to use the current ratio to determine that, which is current assets divided by current liabilities. And we see that for Home Depot, they had a 1.1 ratio in 2018. A ratio higher than one indicates that a company will have a high chance of being able to pay off its short-term debt, whereas a ratio of less than one indicates that a company may not be able to pay off its short-term debt. I like to see ratios between 1.5 and 3%. This one just means that it that Home Depot has $1.10 of current assets available to cover every $1 in liabilities. For home improvement tech companies, a 1-1 is at a reasonable level since they have some cash without leaving too much on the sidelines during this low return period. Ratios that are extremely high might suggest that a company is hoarding its assets, and that isn't strictly necessary. Number three, the final main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is if it has taken on too much debt using the debt to equity ratio. So debt to equity equals total liabilities divided by equity. Higher debt to equity ratios tend to indicate a company or stock with higher risk to shareholders because it may not be able to generate enough cash flow to cover its debt obligations. It means that a company has been aggressive in financing its growth with debt. But if it's too low, it's a sign that your company is over relying on equity to finance your business, which can be costly and inefficient. 1 to 1.5 is generally what I look for though the ratio varies depending on the industry because some use more debt financing than others. Financial stocks that borrow money to lend money tend to have higher debt to equity ratios. Sectors that utilize capital extensively, like utilities, also tend to have debt to equity ratios that are high. So you can use the ratio to compare similar companies in similar industries. Consumer staples or consumer non-cyclical sector tends to also have a high debt to equity ratio because these types of companies can borrow cheaply and have a relatively stable income. I believe Buffett has generally said he likes to see something under 0.5, and Lynch said that debt to equity ratio is a quick way to determine the financial strength of a company within the following ranges. Debt less than 10% of equity is excellent. Between 10% and 29% is acceptable. 30 and 49% is normal. 50 and 79% mediocre. And 80% or more is bad. Though again, things can vary greatly based on industry. Another ratio to look at is debt over EBITDA. And we see that Home Depot's debt over EBITDA is at a 1.5, which is quite a reasonable level. Be aware that Home Depot has long-term debts of over $25 billion, and its cash has decreased by about 50% from last year. Something to consider is if there is a recession, Home Depot might not have enough levers they can pull to deal with a downturn. So Home Depot has a fair amount of debt, which you can find in big companies that can get cheap money. Let's see if we think they can cover their interest payments. Let's see if EBIT is reasonable. EBIT is their operating profit, which is the profitability of a business before taking into account interest and taxes. Let's look at the income statement. So net earnings equals net income, which is calculated as sales less cost of goods sold, selling, general administrative expenses, operating expenses, depreciation, interest, taxes, and other expenses. Macro trends calcs EBIT for us at 15 billion. Interest is about a bill. 
we want to see EBIT greater than or equal to three times net interest. We see Home Depot is way over that, which implies that their interest payments are easily covered. So even though Home Depot has a good amount of debt, its cash flow seems strong enough to cover, so they're still managing their debt appropriately. Let's look over the cash flow statement. We want to find out if the company is bringing in real cash, which is good, or if it's generating cash by borrowing money or selling pieces of its business. So we want to figure out the free cash flow number, or what Warren Buffett calls the owner earnings. So in 2019, we see a 10.629. 2018 owner earnings, free cash flow of 10.181 billion, and 2017 owner earnings of 7.79 billion. High or rising free cash flow is often a sign of a healthy company that is doing well, so Home Depot is looking good here. Finally, let's calculate return on assets to see how efficiently Home Depot is squeezing profits from its assets. Return on asset equals net income divided by total assets. ROAs over 5% are generally what we're looking for. The higher the ROA, the higher the asset efficiency. So 2019, they had an ROA of 25%, 2018, 19%, and 2017, 18.5%. So that's a great return on assets. This data from Guru Focus shows that Home Depot's return on assets is better than 97% of the companies in their sector, which is awesome, and much better than Lowe's. Let's look at their dividend in more detail. They have had great dividend growth. Look at those beautiful increases for the dividend. 34% in 2013, 20.5% in 2014, 25.5% in 2015, 16.9% in 2016, 29% in 2017, 15.7% in 2018, and 32% in 2019. It's insanely awesome. Okay, let's move from their financials and talk about their leadership. Looking at the top nine execs, the average tenure is over 15 years, which is great to see. An unfortunate change is that the CFO, Carol Tomei, is retiring after her 24-year stint. One of the things I was happy about to see amongst the exec ranks was a chief information officer, Matt Carey, which shows that they truly value technology. I did a Google check on some key execs and didn't find anything that was disconcerting. Let's talk about their CEO. Home Depot CEO is Craig Minear, a 20-plus year veteran of Home Depot. He has held the CEO role since 2015. A good data point to gauge how he has performed is to check the stock history since he joined. Here we can see SPY in the black line and Home Depot in blue, and we see that he far outperformed the S&P 500, and that's not even counting dividends. So top-notch performance for the CEO. I think it's important to not just highlight the great things, but also talk about some of the concerns and risks you should be aware of. Home Depot revealed in its quarterly report how the ongoing trade war could hurt consumer confidence in America. Let's watch a bit of CNBC's Kramer. If I were President Trump, I would heed Home Depot's call and recognize this hugely important industry is at risk from tariffs. Right at the moment when I'm sure the Chinese government would love a reprieve from the trade war and because it's causing all this manufacturing exodus. So, there is a risk to Home Depot from the tariff war. Some products sold by Home Depot have tariffs on them and could lead to deceleration of sales. But Home Depot has a lot of products and services that they offer, so hopefully they can mitigate things. They expect fiscal 2019 sales to rise by over 2% and same-store sales to rise by 4%. That being said, the tariffs on Chinese goods are projected to have an impact on Home Depot's U.S. sales of $2 billion, which is about 2%. 
The company suppliers are moving some manufacturing to other countries in Asia, which should reduce the impact of the tariffs to about 1%. Another risk to be aware of comes from the Lira metric. The Lira metric stands for the leading indicator of remodeling activity released by the Remodeling Futures Program at Harvard. It shows a pattern of slowing down. It predicts that year-over-year -year growth in remodeling spend will decrease to 0.4% in mid-2020, which is almost 6% lower than where it is today. So it looks probable that home building declines as well as decreasing home sales will hurt Home Depot's growth for a while. We can see U.S. housing starts are below and leveling off relative to historic numbers. Another risk that Home Depot called out was that lumber prices have topped out. And as you can see, they have fallen from where they were a year ago. Weather presents a risk to Home Depot as bad weather can influence customer spending. A minor management risk is that their CFO is retiring from them and has done a great job while she's been there. Another concern to be aware of is that Home Depot failed to penetrate the Chinese market. In 2006, Home Depot went into China's growing market with the purchase of a Chinese chain of 12 home improvement stores. But by 2012, they basically closed down their footprint in China after not getting the results they needed. There were a variety of reasons why, but the main one was cultural. Here's a quote from a 2012 article by Kim Basis called, Why IKEA Took China by Storm While Home Depot Failed Miserably. In the last 15 years, home ownership in China has gone from practically zero to about 70%. However, many people have little sense of how to furnish or decorate a home. They are very eager to learn from the West. This is one of the reasons that IKEA is very popular in China. Their Western-style showrooms provide model bedrooms, dining rooms, and family rooms showing how to furnish them. Their stylish and functional modern furniture is particularly appealing to young couples. So while that is a concern, I also see it as an opportunity. I'd wager that at some point in the future, Home Depot will once again push into the Chinese market, but being more mindful of what it takes to succeed culturally. And another risk, as I've already mentioned, is debt. Finally, the last risk I'll call out is their main competitor, Lowe's. Well, this latest quarter, Lowe's didn't make any material market share gains against Home Depot, but the operating gap is closing between these two competitors. Plus, Lowe's newly hired CEO, Marvin Ellison, previously spent 12 years at Home Depot as an exec, so he can bring a lot of knowledge to make Lowe's an even more formidable competitor. While I don't care too much about quarter to quarter, I thought I'd mention that Lowe's earning growth beat out Home Depot, and they had slightly better same-store sales at an increase of 3.2% for Lowe's versus 3.1% for Home Depot during the second quarter. But where Lowe's really shined was their second quarter profit jumped up over 10% compared to the same time last year at $1.67 billion. Home Depot's profit fell by 0.8% during this time period at $3.48 billion. So Lowe's is nipping at their heels. Lowe's is now targeting the professional contractor customer space, which Home Depot wants to dominate. Home Depot has launched a dedicated B2B site for pros and is taking a variety of steps to stay on top of the pro customer space. Unfortunately, Lowe's doesn't reveal their specific numbers in order to be able to compare them to Home Depot. Here we can see that Home Depot is still winning over Lowe's in terms of customer transactions. But Home Depot's technology investments, such as their direct-to-consumer site and their point-of-sale technology to improve the customer experience and speed of the sales process, as well as its investments in ongoing knowledge training of their employees, has allowed Home Depot to stay always ahead of Lowe's. So, big question, is it worth buying at this price? 
A good data point to consider is using the free cash flow method to value a stock. Discounted cash flow, or DCF, is a valuation method used to estimate the value of an investment based on its future cash flows. DCF analysis attempts to figure out the value of a company today based on projections of how much money it will generate in the future. I can do an in-depth video on how you do DCF to value a business if you like. Anyway, Guru Focus is a nice tool you can use rather than calc it manually. So what you see here is that it's nice. Home Depot is still 22% under the DCF. Let's check out Lowe's. Here you see that Lowe's is overpriced based on uh, this quick model. That all being said, after factoring everything we know about Home Depot, I'm concerned about the potential for home building growth slowing and remodeling growth slowing. Of course, who knows about what the future will bring. If the Fed does more rate cuts, then that should help to drive down mortgage rates and borrowing costs for remodels, which would then decrease, and all that could help Home Depot. And then we have home prices. Are they going to go up or down? And we don't know what will happen to commodity prices in the future, like lumber or copper, which will both impact how Home Depot does. As inflation goes up, demands for Home Depot products might go down as they have to raise prices. So the inflation or deflation of commodity prices could affect their prices, could affect their demand for their products, their sales, and ultimately their profit margins. So to me, things look pricey for Home Depot. But the management team is repurchasing shares, which might help keep pushing the stock price up. Their plans by the end of fiscal 2019 is to repurchase $5 billion of stock. So even though I like a lot of what I see in Home Depot, it is not quite the fair price I personally would be looking for. I'd get excited to see a $150 strike price, but can understand why people would go higher given they're such a great company with strong fundamentals and a solid management team. And the reason I like to dig into understanding the company rather than just look at a ticker is because Buffett taught us not to do that. If I'm going to buy a half interest in a McDonald's stand and you're going to run it, or a McDonald's franchise, you're going to run it, I look to the business to determine whether I've made a good investment. And I'm, I'm concerned about you know, whether we have new competition, how we do over the years, but it's the business I look at. When you're just looking at the price of something, you're not, you're not investing. I mean, it's... That being said, Buffett himself is an infallible. In 2009 and 2010, he sold off all his Home Depot shares, believing that housing was going to get worse before it got better. But that proved to be a $500 million or more mistake. So do you buy? Ultimately, you need to make your own call on it. All right, let's jump into my portfolio, where I am showing three of my 25 positions, with the latest one being Home Depot. So here's Home Depot. I've got 93 shares of it, bring my total to about 661 shares. Today everything's green. We see that in the last 365 days, uh, the stock price of today is higher than it was a year ago. Current PE and forward PE are both about 21, which is, like, as I mentioned, higher than I'd like. Uh, this dividend discount model is not valid. It's a negative, uh, just like Disney's was. Go ahead and watch that video if you want more details about that. They're in the retail industry. I take up about, for just these three stocks, about 39% of my portfolio, and you'll see that that'll change as the other review videos come in. They have a really strong annual dividend of $5.44. They historically have increased their dividend around the March time frame. 
and this is yellow meaning that within the next 30 days will be when their dividend will pay out, in this case September 20th. Dividend yield 2.49%, three-year dividend compound annual growth rate of 20.4%, and five is also high. So what this means is that if you need cash right now, then the dividend yield isn't kind of what you'd be looking for. But if you have a slightly longer time frame, it's an incredible growth stock. You can see how the allocation looks, which makes sense because my positions are increasing by market value. So you'd assume there'd be a fairly equal splitting between, between healthcare, which is Pfizer, entertainment and Disney, and uh, Home Depot here. Okay, we can see how the average weighted five-year dividend compound growth rate for the portfolio is around 16%, and the, and the average weighted dividend yield or starting yield for the portfolio is 2.64%, which is how I like it, nice and low and conservative. Market value, about $20,000 in Home Depot, bringing the portfolio total so far to $51,000, and the important column, annual return. So Home Depot drips $506 a year. So, so far we're up to $1,361 of passive income being generated a year. Payout ratio is, is nice and healthy. And then when we look at the dividend data, we see they've had a lot of good dividend years. Most recently, nine years of consecutive dividend increases. And they did have a couple of delayed dividends. If we go over their history in the early 2000s, we see that there are a few years where they didn't increase their dividend year over year, unfortunately. Beta is a little bit high for me, and the average weighted portfolio beta is 0.92. Market cap 241 billion, and the average weighted market cap so far for the four for the portfolios at 226.48 billion. All right. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risks. I'm only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments. Don't use this information without double-checking it and talking to someone a lot smarter than me after you completely understand it. So I'll see you in the next video, and remember to stay positive, patient, play for the long term, keep investing in great companies, budget reasonably, and win. I know you can do it, just like I know you can hit the subscribe, like, and bell icons, and share this with others.